This episode of the Tomahawk is brought to you by our good friends at Bevel, the first and only shaving system designed specifically for coarse, curly hair and sensitive skin. Now you can enjoy smoother, clearer skin with Bevel. I'm actually super upset, Joe, because I'm traveling, doing my second job at ESPN, also moonlighting as a face model, and I forgot my Bevel back in LA, and so now I have prickly hair all over my face and irritated skin. So don't be like me. Go get Bevel and make sure your skin stays smooth. Just another reason not to be like Hawk. Don't worry, I won't. For a limited time, get 20% off your next shipment with Bevel. Check out getbevel.com slash tomahawk. Promo will be automatically applied at checkout. That's G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L dot com slash tomahawk. Coming up on today's show, Mike McCarthy is out in Green Bay and Cheesehead TV's Aaron Nagler joins us to talk about it. Plus, Kareem Hunt gets cut. The Houston Texans keep on rolling and it might be time to break up the Panthers. All that and more on another Monday edition of The Tomahawk Show. Fans, take us away. Joe, Hawk, Thursday night. I'm listening to your podcast. I'm eating some leftover chili for my mother from last Friday. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. But then Hawk says, hey, leftover containers. I'm eating this out of a potato salad container from the grocery store. Do you guys know my life? Joe, Hawk yourself. Joe and Andrew, I went to go hawk myself and I hurt myself really bad. It's Joe from Stowe, Ohio. Been a Browns fan since I was four years old, and Joe Thomas is the greatest Brown that I've ever seen. Andrew Hawkins did not like getting pants dirty because he never went down when he played on the Browns. Go Brownies forever, and we could use both of you this season. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show, presented by Uninterrupted. Please interact with the show by following us on social media at Tomahawk Show, and be sure to use the hashtag Tomahawk. We love interacting with our fans. Make sure you call and leave us a voicemail. We love to hear from you. 440-628-1376. That is 440-628-1376 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming episode. With me, as always, is the man with two degrees, three kids, and four Oscars. He is the humblest of co-hosts. His name is Andrew the Hawkins. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. I've seen a... um a suit line from one of my colleagues, Ryan Hollins, who was another media member, former NBA player. He's like 6'11", and he's doing a suit line that I don't know if there's a better collection that's suited for me. It was called the Humble Giant Collection <laughs> for, I guess, wow. super humble people who are very big. So um, I'm hoping to cash in on that Tomahawk endorsement there. I'll keep you updated. All right, man. Well, I appreciate that. So uh, how was your week? It was good, man. A lot of good football. Uh, what did I do this week? I worked around the clock per usual. Yep. Don't get a lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. I seen a meme that was like, when you're a kid, you have a ton of energy, a ton of time, and no money. When you're an adult at the stage we are now, you have money, you have energy, but you don't have any time. And then on the back side of life, you have money. You have time, but you don't have any energy. So now I'm trying to figure out how I can get money, time, and energy. It's my new life's mission. All three, once you reach the trifecta, it's like the pinnacle. That's that's what the realization I had this week. I've got, I've got an idea. So we've got that multiple thousand dollar in escrow 
account for uh, Nat and her coffee maker that she'll never win. So since we'll, we'll clearly never have to buy Nat a coffee maker because she can barely figure out how to sign up for the DraftKings League. And when she yep. signs up, she's always in the bottom 50, not the top 50. <laughs> so I think what we should do is spend all of that money on Powerball tickets because then we're sure to win billions and billions of dollars and then we don't have to podcast anymore and I don't have to look at two out of three people that I've never met before in my entire life <laughs> every Monday morning at the butt crack of dawn and uh, then we'll have unlimited time money and whatever the other thing you said was energy energy, energy. oh don't let him fool you he said five minutes ago he said this was his favorite part of every week <laughs> every, every Monday morning is looking at our faces yes. that's a good question Joe if you won two billion dollars now nah, power bar's not two billion so let's say you won about a billion dollars on the power bar what are Powerball, not power bar. What are the first three purchases you make? So quickly, Warren Buffett said that anything over 500 million doesn't matter because after you've reached 500 million, there's nothing in the world that you can't buy. And and like, so instant, for instance, if you wanted to buy the Dallas Cowboys, it's two and a half billion or whatever the number is. Well, you could take that 500 million and you could get a loan for the remaining amount because you're so rich. So 500 million is all you need, but we're going to say a billion for this instance. Mm -hmm. What would be the first thing I would buy? Honestly, I would probably buy one of those big, like 250 or 300 foot yachts with a crew of like 15 degenerate uh, bums that, you know, if you've ever seen that TV show Below Deck, it's on Bravo. It's by far my favorite TV show uh, out there right now, outside of football, of course. (laughs) <laughs> it's like 12 people that they sh- they shove together. They're all kind of like these uh, free-spirited drifter types in their mid-20s, early 30s, and they're all the it's people that work gnats. below deck. Yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of gnats. No, but Nat is like driven and motivated to like live a normal society. These are people that sort of live on the fringe of society that just kind of live four or five weeks at a time on these boats working underneath the deck for like 16 to 18 hours in terrible conditions, cramped conditions. Mm. But then they make these huge tips because there's these uber rich billionaires that come and stay on these super yachts and uh, they work them to death, but then they get these big tips and then they can spend the next, you know, six months traveling the world, spending $2 a day living in hostels and uh, <laughs> never showering. So, but, <laughs> but anyways, so you hire all of them. purchase. I would hire all of them and then I would like be able to live a live version of below deck where I would get a live feed into all the drama that was happening below deck so that I could hear in real time, like all the gossip that they were saying about me and about each other. (laughs) And I could live on the super yacht in the middle of the Mediterranean with amazing food, amazing scenery, amazing travel, but also still be able to live in the petty gossipy world of reality TV on Bravo, which I love. So basically, you would be an NFL owner because <laughs> I'm convinced that they have microphones in every locker room and they listen to every conversation. So it's funny you said that. Uh, when Mike Shanahan was in Washington, we had a player that came from the Washington Redskins. And I, don't, I, I never heard if this was true or not, but he said the rumor in their locker room was that when Mike Shanahan took over, he put microphones in all the meeting rooms, in all the locker rooms, and he was like the ultimate CIA spy. He wanted to know everything everybody was talking about. He wanted to know what everybody was thinking. And not that he ever did anything with that information, but he just wanted to know. He like he didn't want any issues that he didn't know about, which is such like a total Bill Belichick type move. 
that I feel like Mike Mike Shanahan probably learned that from Belichick. I, my older brother, I'm not going to give away which coach it was, but they were in a locker room and somebody stole his watch, and he was like new to the, he was maybe he wasn't new to the team, but anyway, somebody stole his watch, and like he went to him, like, hey, you know, I had a Breitling or whatever it was, a Breitling, and somebody took it. Oh, can't hide money. They went. And they were like, oh, yeah. It was in the locker room, meanwhile. And they brought him up to the office. They were like, yeah, it was so-and-so. Showed him the surveillance camera in the locker room. He's like, wait a minute. Oh, wow. You have cameras in the locker room? <laughs> I feel like that's a they end up violation cut, or something. cutting the dude and whatever. But it, from then on, I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure. If you think about it, if you're paying, what's the salary cap? $200 million? Right now? It's probably around there. Let's just assume. Let's assume $200 million. Let's say... You're paying guys $200 million a year over the course of five years, which is a billion dollars. If you had a billion dollars worth of inventory in a room, would you watch it? <laughs> You're right. Would, would you, you have just one camera? Would you listen to You'd it? You'd put at least one Nest camera up in there on the Wi-Fi, right? Right. At least one, right? If you had a billion dollars worth of Just something just, just so you could have your eyes on every once in a while. Yes. Yeah. I actually bought one year. I'm not going to say what, what year it was in my illustrious nine-year professional football career but i bought um audio sweeping audio <laughs> sweeping equipment. like a little spy kit yeah like, like 69.99 spy you kit sweep at target. a room and see where the if there's audio or vices recording i didn't okay. end up figuring out how to use it and i actually still have it at the house <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there was one year i was convinced that they were listening so this begs to ask the question when were you planning on using that, and why did you buy it? Well, it was always leverage, right? So if you have, if I could prove that they were doing that, then I have. So who's they though? What team? The the people, man. The man. The, what do the you man. Mean? Are you thinking NFL people or like government people? I'm just trying to figure NFL, out how crazy you NFL. are. NFL. No, I don't have any. Oh, okay. I don't have any leverage against the government. If they're listening, they got it. You know, they're just they're just watching us do great podcasts and all the time. But the NFL too. If, if I could prove it, if I had. Evidence that they were listening or something, then you have a, the, the ultimate leveraging bargaining chip for whatever you want, right? No? Do you think that the fans would care? They'd be like, yeah, you should be listening into these dudes' conversation. They're, they're a bunch of criminals. No, but that's like. These a, players are criminals. It's illegal. <laughs> it's, a, it's illegal? I don't think it's illegal if it's in their own building. You can't be just videotaping people naked, bro. It's. Oh, you're saying you're going to use it in the locker room. I thought you just meant like in the building. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Of course not. No. All right. Well, here's here's a quick couple stories here. So when I was um, going to be a free agent, I never got to free agency, but I was in my last year of my deal. My agent and I would always talk on the phone about what the Browns offer was, right? And he would always be really careful to make sure that I wasn't having those conversations while I was in the training camp hotel room. Because he said, legitimately, he had a client that was talking on the hotel phone. This was back in the day before cell phones to mm -hmm. him. And they found out that the team had bugged the phone in the hotel room so that they could listen in to the conversation that the agent was having with the player to know where they stood on the offer and what they were trying to get to so that they could gain the upper hands in the, the leverage in the negotiations. So he was really careful about that. Another story I heard from one of my players, uh, one of my teammates when I was a rookie, was that uh, another player was on a free agent visit 
in let's say a team Omaha, right? A team that doesn't have an NFL franchise. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Omaha visiting an NFL franchise on a free agent visit. And right before he went into his hotel, he was checking in a little bit early. He saw two team employees running out of his hotel room and he was sure that they tried to come in and they were trying to bug the phone so that they could listen into the conversation he was going to have about his free agent visit with his agent. So it does happen for free agents. And I'm going to say when Eric Mangini was the head coach of the Browns, he installed uh, these little like dome video cameras and speakers in all the meeting rooms so that he could tap in from his office and listen into the coach's meeting room, like the offensive line room, the quarterback room, the uh, defensive line room. And he could listen to what the coach was coaching, which, you know, kind of makes sense for a control freak type uh, head coach. And he also had the ability to control it from his office so that he could zoom in. And it was such a powerful camera that he actually called up Eric Barton one time, who was one of the older linebackers, who was one of the captains into his office. And he said, hey, why are you on your cell phone during meetings? And Eric's like, what are you talking about? And he showed him video of him pulling his cell phone out of his hoodie and like texting. And he showed him that he could zoom in over his head and actually get so close that he could read the texts that were coming in on his cell phone screen. Is that not incredible big brother stuff going on there? But I said, hey, the rule is you're not allowed to have cell phones in meeting rooms. So technically you were in the wrong, Eric. Well, it's funny because now I'm going to drop it. Uh, Eric Mangini was the coach that my, my brother was that coached my brother when he said there was a camera. They found out who took his watch. No way! That is crazy. <laughs> so well, I don't. I never knew if it was true, but I feel like this is kind of confirmation. Yeah. So for sure, without a doubt, Eric was into the details. Let's say. Uh, That's a good I actually, way to put it. I really like Eric now. I didn't like him when he was our head coach because he was. He was incredibly hard on us in like a bad way, I thought. Right. And he was like so much into having moles and rats in every room and like having cameras in every room. He wanted to know what you're thinking. And it was way too much Big Brother for me, especially uh, early on in my career. I was like, you know, you're sensitive to that stuff when you're a young player. I think when you get older, you don't give as many shits. Like yeah. Eric Barton and those older guys, they didn't care. And me as a young player, like I couldn't understand why they didn't care when Mangini would do these things. And they were like, ah, we don't care. They can cut us. You know, what are they going to do to us? Because that's the mentality you get when you're an older player. And that's when they get rid of you. Yeah, you've you've already established yourself. You've made a good bit of money. Everybody in the league knows your name. They know what you can do. So, you know, if they get rid of me, somebody else will pick me up right away. But when you're a young player, you're still trying to make your name for yourself. And you realize, like, if they get rid of me now, if I get a bad name, I might never be able to actually get back into the league. Right. Well, when I went inside with a team, and again, we'll keep it. Anonymous. Let's say I wouldn't sign with Omaha, um, where I had an illustrious the Nighthawks with the worst, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, um, multi Super Bowl <laughs> winning quarterback, and an incredible one of the best coaches in NFL history out in Omaha. When I signed with them, <laughs> I checked into the hotel, and I I was super paranoid about all of that. So when I would check in the whatever room I got, I would automatically switch it to a different room. That's smart. Like, cause it was like, I would have like conversations in like bushes across the street. Like, cause I'm convinced that I'm like, dude, there's no way 
They're not hearing, listening to everything that I'm doing. The funny part about that is what would they have been able to gain by tapping your hotel room? Like, weren't they offering you a minimum contract anyway? So it's not yeah, like it was a negotiation point. In my mind, it wasn't even about the money as much as it was about, like, once I was on board and I was living in the hotel, it was like, if you wanted to know what I would think, all you had to do is tap the room that I'm in. Because, you know, I'm talking to my wife, I'm talking to my boys. Oh, so, like, so you think they they would have wanted to know what you were thinking about your experience. Right. So they could get rid of you if you weren't totally right. on board the ship. Exactly. Exactly. So they could like just throw you in cement boots and throw you into <laughs> the, uh, the the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, Omaha. Omaha was a good oh, time. Omaha. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's let's uh, bring in our illustrious crew here that uh, I've never met, but we have in-depth personal <laughs> conversations every single week, twice a week. Natty Ice and the firm, the Zerm. Natty, first of all, with you, how was your weekend? My weekend was good. It was really relaxing. I didn't do really do anything interesting. I played basketball and realized that I suck now and I should probably mm. <laughs> probably stop trying to play. Mm. But um, mm. it was fun. It was good. So we've got one quitter on the Tomahawk roster <laughs> yes. from uh, all-star high school basketballer to I'm not as good anymore, so I'm just rather quit than practice and get better. <laughs> uh, Zerm, how was your weekend? Um, my weekend was good. I'm, uh, I'm in the process of moving into a new apartment, and it is on the fourth floor, and there's no elevator. So I, oh. uh, <laughs> on Saturday, I was like, oh, I don't have that much stuff. This is going to be super easy. This won't take me long <laughs> at all. And my dad and I... Uh, moved uh, a couch and a chair and some other things up four flights of stairs, and it took us so much longer than I thought it would. So um, <laughs> that's always enjoyable. I looked at a, I have this, um, like on my Fitbit, I was looking at how many flights of stairs I had climbed, and it was um, over 40 uh, on Saturday. So I'm oh just going to never, ever, ever do that ever again in my whole life. Make well, sure whatever you do, don't move again. Yeah, I'll never what is, um, what does mom think about you moving out of her basement? Is she going to miss you making pancakes for you every morning now? Yeah, she's upset. She's like, is Hawk going to stay in the basement anymore? Like, what am I going to do without him? Um, it's going to be different. Really more ups- she's more upset about um, Hawk not hanging out down there than, uh, than me. So, uh, four, four flights of steps in an apartment with no elevator would have been an automatic pass for me. Automatic no-go. I don't care how nice the apartment is. I don't care what section of town it was. Uh, how great the price was. As soon as they would have said, there's four flights of steps and no elevator. I'm like, ah, oh, man, well, good luck finding a tenant. I'm going to continue <laughs> my search. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you don't think about it. I was like, oh, this isn't really that bad. And then the, you move one piece of a couch and you're like, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> made a huge mistake. <laughs> All right, Hawk, now we've got joining us is Aaron Nagler from Cheesehead TV, and we're really excited and really happy to have him because the big news out of the Sunday weekend was Mike McCarthy getting fired in Green Bay after 12 seasons and winning a Super Bowl, one of the few coaches to be fired after winning a Super Bowl. Aaron, thanks for coming on the Tomahawk Show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, big news, big surprising news. I mean, first time the Packers have ever let someone go in season so uh monumental to say the least well let's talk about that a little bit Aaron like what 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 was behind that decision from the outside looking in this is a Super Bowl winning head coach and we get that Aaron Rodgers is one of the the best quarterback talents in history but it did seem a little harsh to to fire Mike McCarthy mid-season is that a uh, indication of how much turmoil there was within the organization around the head coach 
I think it definitely hints at it. There's no doubt about it. I mean, clearly, I think Mark Murphy just wanted to give Aaron Rodgers his present on his actual birthday. I kid. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you have to say the relationship between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers is driving this thing. I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that you look at Aaron Rodgers. You mentioned, yeah, he's a two-time you know, winning Super Bowl MVP, but there's little doubt that his play has fallen off. And it, Mike McCarthy... Whatever he was going to do with Aaron Rodgers in the NFL, it was pretty clear that he'd already done it. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know what was going on behind closed doors, but everything you saw in public suggested that that relationship was completely frayed and there was no going back. Do you think this was a relationship that was ever really good at one time or was the winning just kind of a big deodorant between the two of them? And then once the winning kind of stopped, then you saw all these issues kind of bubble up to the surface. Yeah, I think definitely more the latter than the former, though I do believe that they were in a good spot for a long time, not just because of the winning. I do think, you know, people always want to talk about, yeah, you won with Aaron Rodgers. Well, people forget what Aaron Rodgers looked like the first couple of years in the league. I mean, prior to becoming the full-time starter, those first couple summers in Green Bay, he was hard to watch. And Mike McCarthy deserves a hell of a lot of credit for creating the quarterback that Rodgers became and has become. The problem is... After a while, I think Rodgers kind of outgrew it. You know, you look around the league, you look at the way the offense, the offensive side of the football is going. I don't think you, you have to be a huge X's and O's guy to understand that Mike has kind of fallen behind the times. I think Rodgers is a, a little bit jealous of everything he sees going on around the league. And he's, you know, just kind of fell out of favor. So ultimately, I think he has spoken, you know, with warm admiration about McCarthy throughout the years. I don't think there's any doubt that they will remain friends after all of this is done. But something had to give, and they just paid the quarterback. So he wasn't going anywhere, so it was time for Mike to go. How do you think the way things ended in Green Bay will affect Mike McCarthy's legacy as a Packers head coach? It's a good question. I think ultimately he'll be remembered well and fondly. I think immediate, in the immediate aftermath, you know, I know a lot of Packers fans, my inbox, my mentions have been filled day after day. <laughs> <laughs> people wanting to move on. I think with the benefit of hindsight and some time and distance, people will remember him much better than they're remembering him now. I mean, he did take him to a championship, one of only three head coaches in the Super Bowl era to do so in Green Bay. Uh, I just think it, it got a bit frustrating and probably definitely internally as well as, you know, on the outside looking in. Keep, you know, he got the four NFC championship games, but he only got to one Super Bowl. Eventually, you know, you keep knocking on the door um, and, uh, you know, probably the penultimate moment was that loss in Seattle in 2014. They just never really recovered from that. So ultimately right now, I think there's a lot of frustration around not only McCarthy, but Ted Thompson, the end of his tenure, kind of the way it all fizzled out. It feels like they're kind of wasting Aaron Rodgers. I know that's a prevailing theme, though. Rodgers is part of that. And, you know, he has to own his play on the field, which has not been great as of late. You know, we're talking with Aaron Nagler of Cheesehead TV. Aaron, now you're talking about Ted Thompson. You talked about Aaron Rodgers taking their piece of the blame. How do you divvy up the blame pie between Mike McCarthy, Ted Thompson, and Aaron Rodgers and all that's going on with the Packers right now as they sit at 4-7-1, and one, I believe? Yeah, I don't, you know, a lot has been written and talked about this year in regards to Ted Thompson and his last few drafts and leaving the cupboard bare. And I think there is something to that. You see a lack of depth at certain positions. But ultimately, I think Brian Gutekunst, the new GM, put them in a decent position this year. I think he absolutely put them in a position to compete. 
Now, you know, injuries always pop up, and that's something you have to deal with. And ultimately, that's Mike McCarthy's responsibility, and it's one that he did not you know, handle very well this year as far as, you know, this is a coach who won a Super Bowl with 16 guys on IR. So he's certainly shown in the past an ability to adjust personnel-wise. That never happened this year. I mean, they kept running the same stuff no matter who was out there. He had two for a, this long stretch here, this last month or so. They've had the two rookie wide receivers, you know, having to basically emulate uh, guys like Randall Cobb and Geronimo Allison, who have tons of reps in this offense. Clearly, they're not going to be on the same page with Aaron. So uh, while Aaron's play, like I said, has fallen off and he definitely shares some of the blame, ultimately, it's Mike's job. It's Mike's responsibility. It's his team. And he came up short again and again and again. We saw it throughout the last month, whether it was in, in L.A., in New England, in Minnesota. There were plenty of moments there where the head coach was directly contributing to the loss. And you see that after a month, after a month, after, you know, throughout the month. And then you get to that game yesterday against the Cardinals, who you should have walked all over. I mean, I think Mark Murphy had just seen enough. Obviously, they're going to be looking for a new head coach. Aaron Rodgers is the highest paid person in that organization. How much input is he going to have into hiring the next head coach of the Green Bay Packers? I know this is going to sound crazy, but I don't think a whole heck of a lot. Uh, I think it'll be pretty minimal. And I know that will probably surprise a lot of people. Or maybe it won't. I don't know. But uh, like you just said, he is the highest paid guy in the building. But, you know, it, they, it became pretty clear this offseason, especially after Brian Gutekunst let Jordy Nelson go. You know, there was a whole kind of month of back and forth, you know, quotes from the quarterback and then responses from the personnel group. And ultimately, you know, it came down to Rodgers repeating a mantra of, you know, I get paid to play quarterback, and that's what I'm going to do. And Brian Gutekunst was you know, asked directly, do you seek input from your quarterback on your personnel moves? And he said, absolutely not. And I think that's the way it should be. Now, I, obviously, I can't tell you what Mark Murphy's going to do as far as is he going to reach out to Aaron, maybe ask for, you know, his advice and maybe his ideas behind what he's looking for. I can't tell you that. My guess is he won't. My guess is he'll lean on Brian Gutekunst, but ultimately it'll be his decision and one he'll make without the input of his superstar quarterback. Is there any indication of what the Packers are going to be looking for with their next head coach? Absolutely not. That's what's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, you know, with Mark, with Mark Murphy, there's no, there's no track record. You know, this is going to be his first and probably biggest uh, you know, major football move since basically inserting himself onto the football side of things. You know, he was – President and CEO has been for a long time, but when he made the move from Thompson to Gutekunst, he made himself kind of the head of football, and now this will be his hire. And we don't have any track record to go off of. I mean, if it was Ted Thompson, you could at least look and see, okay, you know, this is his kind of history, who he has a history with. With Murphy, he's often, almost always, gone outside and hired a search firm and, uh, you know, come up with some of the best candidates and hired from there. But that's on the, on the business side. Uh, as far as, like, looking at who he's going to hire as a head coach, I mean, I think everyone's kind of assuming it's going to be an offensive guy because you've got Aaron Rodgers. But I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. I could very well see, going, you know, trying to react to having had an offensive guy for so long on that, you know, at, at that position. Maybe they go defense and fire, you know, fi try and find some young, hot offensive coordinator. Um, but again, with, without a track record to draw from and with like very minimal input 
from Murphy publicly, it's, it's really hard to say what they're going to be looking for. What are the, who are the names that you've been hearing that could potentially be in the running for the head coach of the Green Bay Packers? Well, you know, you hear things like Lincoln Riley and that, and that kind of stuff, but I'd be very surprised if Murphy drew from uh, the college ranks. You can't, you can't dismiss it, obviously. Um, you know, and then maybe they look at, uh, you know, maybe Zach Taylor out in L.A. or somebody, you know, one of these young offensive play callers, uh, maybe a quarterback's coach. But really, again, there's just nothing, there's nothing to go off of. I know there's been a lot of media speculation about who might get the job, but all of that is really just throwing darts. As far as like who they're looking at in the building, it, I, it's impossible to say. And I think you know, that move yesterday to move on from McCarthy, I think a part of that is because they're going to have to start making calls. You know? And if they were going to be making calls while McCarthy was still there, the moment they make a call, you know that's going to get out. And then the writing is on the wall. And everyone knows McCarthy's done. So I think part of that move, and surprising though it was, was to free them up and just, you know kind of get a jump, a head start, and be able to make some calls and line up some guys who are probably going to be making deep playoff runs, and they want to get out ahead of it. Both Hawk and I played for Mike Pettin when he was in Cleveland, and now he's the defensive coordinator in Green Bay. I think, generally speaking, people think he's done a nice job with that defense out there. Is there anybody on staff that you believe Mark Murphy is going to say, hey, we really need to keep this guy around? Is is there anybody that when the new head coaches are coming in, he's going to say like, hey, you can hire whoever you want on offense, but we really want to keep this guy or that guy? Yeah, it's possible. I know Joe Witt Jr. Uh, is a possibility when you're, when you're talking about guys they might want to keep around. He's got really good ties in the organization. I know everyone loves him. Uh, you know, I agree about Mike Pettin. I think he's done a really good job. Um, you know, and I know it's funny because the Bears just went through this, you know, where they hired from outside the organization, they hired Matt Nagy and they kept Fangio around and told Nagy he could, you know, keep him if he wanted to. I don't know if Murphy's going to go down that road. I think most Packer fans are probably hoping he does. I, I get overwhelming support for Pettin in my uh, daily chats at Chiefs at TV. I think a lot of people are hoping that Pettin sticks around because I, I do think he hasn't had a ton of talent to work with, and he's gotten some really good results. So it's funny, too, because we all asked that during training camp, we all asked Pettin about you know his possible aspirations to become a head coach again someday, and he is categorically – uh, said that he has no desire to be a head coach again. But I do wonder, with his move yesterday, does Mark Murphy <laughs> ask him, and does he say, okay, maybe I'm interested? I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see. And what does this season do to Aaron Rodgers' legacy? And does this uh, offer our, our good friend Brett Hudley a little solace, understanding that he was blamed for last year's bad record, and here we are with the same bad record for the, uh, the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, Brett Hundley took him down to Chicago and led him to a win. It'll be interesting to see if Aaron Rodgers can do the same this year. Uh, mm. You know, Aaron's, Aaron's been on a bad, bad streak since pretty much that Denver game in 2015. Where they started the year 5-0. and It was pretty much that 49ers game that year, that, that fifth win in 2015, where the blueprint kind of got put down how to stop Aaron and Mike's offense. And then came that primetime game in Denver where they only threw for 78 yards or something like that. And since that game, I mean, that is kind of the, the, the flashpoint. Since that game, Aaron Rodgers has not been very good. Other than the run-the-table kind of end of 2016, where he just played insane, lights-out football, and everyone kind of forgot everything because it was so amazing to watch. He basically put that team on his back, got him to the NFC Championship game, and everyone thought Aaron's back. But then he came back the following year, and it was more of the same. So 
I don't know so much that this year uh, in and of itself does a lot to his legacy. Although I do think he just, he's, he's right to me, right where Brett Favre was when they brought Mike McCarthy in all those years ago, a guy who's done it all in this offense, seen it all is, I don't want to say bored because I think that's, that's too way too flippant for a professional athlete, Mm. but I do think he needs to be challenged. I think he needs someone who's going to coach him hard. That's what happened when Mike came in with Brett. You know, Brett had got really, really comfortable with Mike Sherman. McCarthy came in, totally broken back down, built him back up. And he had, you know, some of his best seasons there at the end. So I don't know if it needs to be that dramatic, but it's zero doubt in my mind that Aaron still has all the talent in the world. And he's going to remind us of it if he gets the right coach. And of course, Mm. that's the big question. Well, that's that's a great question because Aaron Rodgers is 35 years old. And for quarterbacks, it seems like they're able to play longer and longer uh, the longer we go here because we've got Tom Brady playing great into his 40s, Drew Brees playing great. But do we think that Aaron Rodgers is becoming too old to, to kind of get that break you down, build you back up with a new offense and a new head coach? Because we haven't really seen that too much with some of these older quarterbacks that have had great success, a la Drew Brees, Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I get, I get asked this a lot, especially because of his style of play. I mean, for so many years now, he's kind of lived off that, okay, my first read isn't there. Maybe my first, second read isn't there. And then I'm going to, okay, I'm going to break, contain. I'm going to get outside the pocket, make something happen. I mean, that has been basically his MO. And I think he is you know, getting older. And at some point, he's got to recognize, and we've started to see signs of it this year, where he can't quite get the edge on that linebacker anymore, or he can't quite break away from that defensive end. I think he's got to come to grips with the fact that he's not that guy. And I think a big part of it is getting, getting him to play from the pocket consistently. And it's funny because you go back to week one when he had that magical comeback against the Bears, he was forced to play from the pocket because he couldn't move because his knee was hurt. So I think, you know, that's the kind of thing where I think it's going to take a coach to say, look, no more backyard ball. See your reads, hit your checkdowns, move the chains, rather than continually trying to find something downfield, continually trying to improvise, play within the structure of the offense. Mike McCarthy, for whatever reason, either refused to do it or couldn't do it. The next coach has to do it. Well, maybe that reads into that Aaron Rodgers is going to need a hard-nosed discipline, maybe an older coach and and not necessarily the young, hot offensive coordinator like everyone thinks. But uh, that remains to be seen, and we're all interested to watch that. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the Tomahawk Show. We really appreciated all your insight on the Green Bay Packers. And we can now officially name you the greatest Packers reporter of all time because you are also the first Packers reporter to come on the Tomahawk Show. Well, it's an honor and a privilege, and I can't thank you guys enough. <laughs> Thanks again for thank coming, you, man. man. Appreciate, we appreciate it. you, man. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, Joe, let's take a break and talk about one of our sponsors. Bevel is the first and only in-to-end shaving system designed for consistently smooth, irritation-free shaving. It's dermatologist-recommended and clinically tested to help reduce and prevent razor bumps, discoloration, and irritation. Over 90% of Bevel users, including Hawk, noticed improvement in their skin and razor bump reduction. Bevel is a good look. Level up your grooming routine with the Bevel Shave System. Also, it's no surprise that the Bevel Trimmer is a GQ Award winner, just like me, of course, and every barber's go-to product. Now you can hold one yourself or purchase for a friend. It's the perfect gift with the holidays coming up. Experience four-plus hours of cordless grooming, easy gap adjustments, and next-level lineups. 
Each clipper includes a blade, blade oil, microfiber bag, brush, and charger. You know, Joe, when I first bought my bevel shaving system, I didn't know what the heck was going on. I just knew I needed an answer to the skin irritation, the razor bumps. I started doing it, man, and it's the only habit that I've consistently kept on for the last two or three years, including working out because I don't do that anymore. But I never leave the house without my bevel shave system, and it makes sure that I stay smooth, pretty for television, and continue this beautiful face that I have for podcasting. Wow, well, you've made me a believer because you can get your bevel trimmer and shave system today at getbevel.com. For a limited time, get 20% off your next shipment with Bevel. Head over to getbevel.com slash tomahawk. Promo will be automatically applied at checkout. That's G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com slash tomahawk. Let's take it over to our three and out section, and let's start with the Kansas City Chiefs in the Kareem Hunt situation. This past week, there was a video that surfaced, resurfaced, whatever you want to call it, of an altercation that Hunt had with a woman at a Cleveland hotel late hours. He's seen on the video both pushing and kicking her while she's on the ground. It was kind of the thing that took over um, the, the entire football world, rightfully so. And there is a whole bunch to unpack here. Joe, did you see the video? I did. I, I looked it up after the Tomahawk chat group was going absolutely bananas this Ape past shit. week. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, a terrible situation and obviously shocking for all of us. And the video um, only makes real what uh, the biggest fears are. When you hear something like this, obviously it was something that happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um but it reminds me of the Ray Rice situation a little bit. Now, it's different in many ways, but it's similar right. in, in the fact that if we would have just heard, if the announcement would have been um, Kareem Hunt was involved in <clears throat> an, an incident with a female where, you know, initially police were called, but they let him go. And he could say, you know, there was some pushing and shoving, but I never hit her or whatever the, the, the situation was. And he probably would have gotten a slap on the wrist. Um, they would have swept it under the rug because there was no charges filed. There was maybe a police report, but nothing concrete where us as a society, us as football fans, the NFL could Mm -hmm. say, yeah, he was, he was definitely, uh, clearly in the wrong in a horrible manner. And we need to take swift and harsh actions against him. But then you get the the video and you get a sense of how uh, terrible and violent, the situation and the incident was, and it becomes real. And it's something that you have to face. And unfortunately that's kind of how our society is right now. If you hear about something, there's enough doubt in your head that, that if you like the person or like for the, for instance, in the chief situation, if that player is beneficial to what their team is trying to do, which is win, they can build up enough doubt in their own minds about yep. what maybe what happened, where they can build these excuses in for him to be able to stay on the team, where they can punish him and they can feel good about it, but keep him around so that they can continue to help them win because he's clearly a big part of their team. But as soon as you have that video and it becomes real, then all that doubt that they're able to create in their minds is gone and you see how terrible it is. And they made the right decision on uh, cutting him and uh, getting rid of him. Now, when the Chiefs released Kareem, the they basically said it was because he lied, right? So it wasn't, they didn't even have it as because of what he did. They lied about the situation. He lied about the situation 
um, which is why they immediately released them, no questions asked. And they were right in doing so. But what do you do for a process? Because then the question is, it's like, did the NFL do enough to investigate this situation? Did they ask enough questions? You know, I watched the interview with Kareem on ESPN, and the NFL never talked to him. They never talked to the woman in the video. They never talked to anybody who was there. I don't even know that they spoke to the hotel. So it's like, well, what kind of investigation really was there? And what is the fix for getting to the bottom of these situations sooner than this so that there isn't a bunch of rage and uh, rightfully so around the process of how you're determining who's being punished and who's not? Yeah, I think this will be interesting to see what happens here. And of course, as is typical with the NFL, depending on how big the outcry is, is going to determine how thorough the investigation is from right. the NFL standpoint. So the Chiefs clearly knew something happened. If they were really interested in finding out what truly happened, like you mentioned, they would talk to the girl. They would have talked to all the, the people that were involved that saw it. It looked like there was a girl that actually was videoing it at one point, And a guy came over towards the end. I don't know if you guys saw this. I did. Grabbed and snatched the phone from him, yep. from her. Um, so there obviously was some video there. They could have done the easiest thing ever, which would have been go to hotel security. At a hotel, we know there's cameras everywhere. Just ask Hawk with his little baby spy kid. Yeah. He knows that everywhere in a hotel, they're going to have videos. And if he would have, if the Chiefs would have just gone to the nine and asked him for the video, they could have easily seen exactly what happened. Um, and it wasn't until TMZ was able to get a hold of the video that we finally saw it. But did the Chiefs notify the NFL? Like they knew there was an incident. I'm pretty sure that in the NFL, if there's an incident like this, the Chiefs have a duty to report this to the NFL so that the NFL then is able to investigate. And the NFL has basically a bunch of mob mafia hitmen that go around and rough people up and get to the bottom of this type of stuff. So if, if the Chiefs in the NFL were really interested in finding out what happened, they easily could have done this. It doesn't take a junior reporter at TMZ to go over to the nine and ask for a hotel video to be able to find out what happened with Kareem Hunt. And it was public knowledge. It wasn't like this was an incident that nobody know, knew about. Like there's certain times where a player gets, you know, there's a police report or there's an incident with a player that never reaches the public media and never reaches the public eye. People find out about it. Cops may notify a team, whatever, but it never gets out there. This wasn't one of those situations. This was very much in the news. I remember when it happened, it was almost, it might have been just a couple of days after the Super Bowl because I remember reading it on a plane, I think from the Super Bowl when we were leaving. So, again, this is something that everyone knew about. I think the problem with the NFL is they don't have a committee, not just a committee, they don't have a department dedicated to this. Now, I... I and, you can make the argument, does the NFL need a uh, an investigative crime committee? No, probably not to that level. But if if the if the problem with this situation is that the NFL didn't do enough to try to look into this altercation, then that's the only solution. Because if, if you're investigating every time the police are called involving a player and you're going to have interviews with everyone involved, check every surveillance tape. You need a dedicated department. You need dedicated employees and personnel to get into the bottom of it. And you need to react, not in a way where it's like, oh, there's video out there. There's public outcry. Let's take this serious. There's a big name involved in this. 
we're going to show we're serious about this and we're going to do a, a thorough investigation of Ezekiel Elliott. No, it has to be you don't base your policy off of reaction. You base your policy off of what's right. And what's right is your whole process is as soon as there's a call, as soon as there's any altercation, we go through the same protocol. That way you don't have to be going back and and trying to cross your T's and dot your I's in the back end. It's already in place. And I think that was the biggest problem with the whole NFL process. Do you think, Joe, that Kareem Hunt plays in the NFL again? No, because I see this situation a little bit similar to the Ray Rice situation, and Ray never made it into the league again. Yeah, that is a riveting take. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there is some... There's obviously a lot of overlap between them. Um, the only caveat being that Kareem, you can argue, isn't even at the height of his career, right? And I'm not saying that in the sense of because he's not reached his height, he deserves it. I'm just saying you have a, a longer leash when you are still Production able breeds to tolerance. produce. Exactly. Production breeds Love tolerance. <laughs> so he's 23 years old. He's in his second year in the NFL. If if I was putting money on it right now, if it was Vegas odds and I had to bet it, I would say that he will eventually get back on an NFL roster. But is that okay? Should do you think that he should have the ability to continue his football career based on the information? I know it's fresh and there's a lot to unpack, but based on the information you do have, do you think he deserves not deserves because I think time will prove that, but do you think he should be able to continue his professional football career? Well, I believe that people deserve second chances. I've I've got a lot of empathy in this uh, 260 pound body, and obviously empathy for the victim, but also for people that can show contrition, that can go through the process. Whatever the NFL lays out for him, as far as the pathway, maybe to potentially get back in the NFL to show that um, you've changed, you understand the seriousness of what happened, mm -hmm. you've used it as a learning situation, not only for yourself, but for other people so that hopefully you're able to make the world a better place by, uh, you know, learning from what happened. And if you're able to go through all the different checklist things, I'm sure that the NFL is going to lay out for Kareem to be able to get back in maybe in a year or two. He's able to have proven that he served his time, essentially, and that he's, he's very sorry for what happened and that he was able to make the most of it. And um, like I said, he was able to go out and spread the word about ending domestic violence. All right, so I, I want to bring in Nat here, our, obviously our female voice here on the show, just to get her perspective on things. Um, because I don't, I don't want to say we're biased, Joe, but as NFL players, I could see us, we look yeah. through a very specific lens, right? So, well, Nat, I think it's perspective, right? right? So, me and you are male NFL players. Uh, we both had very long and illustrious careers mm -hmm. with uh, between the two of us, 10 Pro Bowls, two great cups. Um, so, I think it's important to get somebody with different perspective. Yeah. So, Nat, what are your, what are your thoughts on not just the whole situation, but again, the question that I asked Joe, like, do you think he should be able to continue his NFL football career at some point? I think at some point he should. I have always thought that if I'm a very empathetic person as well, and I do, obviously, I think it's terrible what he did. Mm -hmm. And I that video like made me sick. But I do think that that is his career. That's what he's meant to do. He is young. 
but he needs that time away from the sport and that needs to be a sufficient amount of time away from the sport fixing his I mean he obviously can't fix his wrongs but like right. Joe said like working on it doing certain things mm-hmm. that advocate for domestic violence and just bettering himself and not playing not getting paid he needs that time away from it to be able to earn his way to come back I think so right. I think that like that's the solution I don't think he shouldn't be able to play ever again but I mean this is such a bigger conversation about like the NFL and you know how they yeah. handle these things like what you guys were talking about because it's very very broken but mm-hmm. um as far as him coming back he definitely just needs time away to you know prove himself again and um I think he could eventually come back but it's just when I see teams pick up players two days after something like this happens it mm-hmm. just blows my mind so yeah and and for clarity we are recording at a time we don't know if somebody is putting a waiver claim yet for Kareem Hunt who is yeah. One of the best young talents, at least at the running back position in the NFL. The Reuben Foster situation, it was a little different to me because, no, we didn't have video, but it was his mm-hmm. third domestic violence arrest in a year. So this <laughs> is why it's important that the Chiefs release Kareem Hunt because all the things you guys talked about. I, too, think that if he goes and not like not said that he can't right his wrongs, but if he's uh, A, works on his anger issues or whatever, because that's what really kind of sparks all this off and understands the severity of of what he's done and he's able to advocate in a way that helps the entire not just football industry any kid watching the victims of domestic violence or assaults against women if if he can help push that forward then yes i think he should should get an opportunity um to play football again and not even because you're a football player and you deserve it. I'm not even coming from that lens. The only lens I'm looking through is that I try to think about it in any other profession. If somebody else in any other profession that they were in had this happen, would they be able to still go get a job somewhere in that industry? And for most professions, like 95 plus percent, it would be a yes. And this is, this is the only way he can make money. So I I don't want to act like I'm, you know, so high and mighty that I could take that away. But like you guys said, it's a very, very, very important issue and something that the league has to have a, a harder stance on and show people that, yo, this is not zero tolerance policy. That You can't do this shit. This can't be the the example you're setting for anybody who is attached to our league and our profession because then it becomes, you know, people think because you're a player, and, and I know we're talking on this a lot, but as players, they just think we all kind of have each other's back, what we talked about. Mm-hmm. And that isn't the case. I would never be – I that's not me. I've never put my hands on a female. I'm not saying it like, oh, look at me. I'm so much better than anybody. No, I'm saying it to say I, everybody is not alike. And no, we as players, we can't defend any of that in any way, shape, or form. And we have to be the ones to, to stand up for women and say like, yo, like, no, this – we have to be able to look at our peers and be like, yo, we're – you're in the fucking wrong here. It can't do it. It can't happen. Um, otherwise, who else is going to do it? Otherwise, it kind of, again, ruins, spoils the whole bunch. So the news kind of came out roughly over the weekend where there was all sorts of great NFL games and there was a lot of conversation where the talking heads like you and I were talking football instead of off-field stuff. But now that the uh, middle of the week 
is upon us and we know that this is going to be a hot topic on all the talk shows. Do we think that Roger Goodell is going to get fired over this? Right now, there's zero drumbeat whatsoever. But if you remember the Ray Rice situation, he almost got fired for that. And then he put in place this big process of investigating. Because before Ray Rice, it was, well, we'll wait to see what the police figure out. And then after kind of the police do their investigation and the court system, it works its way through. Then we'll suspend him or not. Well, then Roger Goodell put in this new place. He hired, I think, Liz Friel. She was like a former FBI investigator, if I can remember correctly off the top of my head from a few years ago. And she was going to be in charge of this team of investigators who was going to get to the bottom of every situation like this. And they were going to leave no stone unturned. And this was not going to be allowed to happen anymore. Well, we're here. We're in this situation again where there was an incident that the teams knew about, that potentially the NFL knew about, and they didn't do any investigation to find out what really happened. They just kind of took the player's word for it and moved on until the video came out, which is exactly what happened pretty much with Ray Rice. So does the drumbeat start coming out and get louder about getting rid of Roger Goodell because of this incident? I don't think it does. I mean, it'll be another kind of a black eye on his resume. Uh, similar to the Ray Rice situation, but I think the difference is I feel like I genuinely don't think the NFL had access to this video. Not apparently, only that, apparently with the video, they, the hotel couldn't give it up to the NFL without giving it up to the police first. Mm -hmm. And this was an article I read. I don't know if this is true, but this, that's what I saw is that's the reason the NFL couldn't obtain the video is because the police needed to get it first and they, the police never really made an effort to like really dig deep into it right and i feel like the ray mm -hmm. rice thing was a big enough incident that i felt like they had not only had access to the video i think that was the biggest thing they had access to the video and even after they seen the video they gave ray rice a one game suspension mm -hmm. even after seeing the video that was the bigger problem okay um with the roger goodell situation this was a little different in that like she said i don't think not only did they not see the video they didn't have access to the video and to be honest, based on how the police handled it, I don't think they realized how big of a deal it was or what actually happened because he he didn't get arrested. They didn't say he was in the wrong. So it was, okay, the police were called, nothing happened, kind of move on, which, again, I think that is a larger conversation about their process in this. But I think it's a just in theory a, bad, a black eye for Roger Goodell, but I don't think it's going to uh, – make the drum the drumming of oh get rid of Roger Goodell any louder so to me this reminds me of the parents that have the uh the high school kid that they know is going out and doing underage drinking and maybe promiscuity but they just turn the blind eye because they don't want to know about it mm -hmm. they could easily find out more information but they don't want to know about it and they would rather just be oblivious to it right because that's what it seems like with the NFL here the NFL, people don't understand, has an entire security team of former FBI people FBI all over the people. world. I'm not talking about all over the country. I'm talking all over the world that specializes in relationships with all the local police departments, all the police chiefs. They can get information on people that 
the CIA can't even get. I mean, this is basically people that are working outside of the law because they're not law enforcement anymore, but they're all former law enforcement. So if the NFL wanted to get this information from the Cleveland Police Department, if they wanted to see this video, they easily could have done it, and they chose not to. They chose to turn a blind eye to it. Exactly. All right, that was a long first down. Let's get into second down here. We got the Houston Texans have now won nine in a row. They downed the Cleveland Browns 29-13 in that game. Baker Mayfield threw interceptions three times in one half. Texans D was on top of it. Joe, are the Texans underrated right now? Mm. Or are the Browns a bit overrated? Yeah, well, going into this game, I kind of had this thought that the Texans were properly rated because they had one eight in a row yes but they started out on three but they didn't really beat anybody really good during that streak they just beat a bunch of 500 and below teams essentially during that win streak and so I wasn't really totally a believer but what they did to the Browns on Sunday has made me a believer not just because they beat the Browns all right all right look Even we, are, we Browns are also fans. a 500 and below team but go ahead exactly <laughs> that, that's my point that's what I'm getting to yes we're Browns fans we have this really high opinion because they've been playing playing well lately, but they haven't beaten anybody really good in their last few games that they've been winning uh-huh. either. So it's not necessarily that the, that the Texans beat the Browns. That makes me a believer. It's the fact that how they did it, they did it with really good defense. They did it with getting turnovers. They did it with Lamar Miller rushing for 103 yards and they did it with Deshaun Watson playing really, really good football. And I, I'm going to say that right now, in my opinion, Bill O'Brien is the front runner for coach of the year because of what he did smartly during the season. After they started out just miserable, and some of it can be attributed to the ACL injury that Deshaun Watson was coming off of, but a lot of it was how they were using Deshaun Watson. They were trying to make Deshaun Watson into a Tom Brady clone, which his skill set is clearly far different than Tom Brady. I watched Tom Brady run the 40 at the Combine again (laughs) this weekend for humor, and it was absolutely the slowest 40 I've ever seen. Now, the time may have not been the slowest, but how he ran and the way it looked, it looked like it was over seven seconds. Tom Brady is slow. He's got a great brain and a great arm, but he can't run. Deshaun Watson is a amazing athlete. His athleticism, his speed, his quickness opens up that offense like almost no other quarterback in the NFL. And the way they've gotten the run game going and the way that they're running the play-action pass, the bootleg, the run-action pass, off of the things that they're doing in the run game has become a very, very special and difficult-to-defend defense. Deshaun Watson is throwing incredible passes. The seam balls that they're throwing off of the RPOs and some of these run-action passes – is on time, on the money, it's deadly. It's really hard for defense to stop when they're running the ball as efficiently as the Texans are because the linebackers are coming downhill on to stop the run, and Deshaun Watson is fitting the ball in there in between the linebackers and the secondary. And, of course, as we know, this Houston defense, that front seven is the best front seven in football. And overall, I am a huge believer right now in the Texans. I think they have a chance to compete for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I I don't think people realize how much of a chance they have. You talk about that defense, they also have DeAndre Hopkins, Demarius Thomas on the outside, Lamar Miller, and Deshaun Watson at quarterback. That's a really, really talented offense. Tell me this, Joe, where where did the Browns go wrong on Sunday? Like, what was... What was the problem, man? They got down bad, and obviously we can throw interceptions like that in the first half. It's hard to come back from. Baker mm-hmm. actually played pretty well in the second half. But overall, what was the problem that you've seen mostly with Cleveland? Well, clearly it starts with uh, 
the quarterback to receiver combination. I think two out of those three interceptions, there was basically just kind of rookie mistakes. Baker came out after the game and talked about route depth and timing. And I think when you play a really good defense like the Texans, you have to be very sharp on your details as an offense, right? You can't make any mistakes whatsoever. And when you're the quarterback, that means throwing the ball exactly on time. And that means when you're a receiver, you have to be exact with your route depth, with your footwork, with your timing, with your eyes. Everything has to be perfect because those windows are so much smaller when you're playing a great defense. And some of like the little errors in the detail in the passing game became apparent in this game. You're able to get away f- away with it when you're playing a team like the Bengals, right? Those windows are a little bit bigger. If you're a little bit late on the throw, you can still fit it in there because they're not playing as tight of coverage. But the Texans don't allow you to do that, and they make you pay. And then when you get into a hole, now you're trying to play catch-up football, which is really hard when you're playing against a team that has such a great front seven as the Houston Texans. Should the Browns have traded back and drafted Deshaun Watson instead of going well, with Miles Garrett at number one? Right, so the Browns passed Deshaun Watson twice and actually traded their pick to the Texans to allow them to take Deshaun Watson. But I'm going to say that still oh. was the right decision. <laughs> Wait, what? I said, oh. <laughs> like, you didn't know that, oh? I remember that draft. I don't remember that draft. It was like 30 years ago at this point. Continue. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, hey, that's what happened. I'm pretty sure, unless I'm wrong. But um, I think it was still the right decision because, in my opinion, when I'm building a roster, I want to build – the some of the key positions before I pick quarterback. Now, granted, if you're sitting at number one and there is somebody that you think somehow is like a John Elway, okay, you take him. I'm not ready to say Deshaun Watson is a John Elway, but he's clearly a really, really good quarterback. I still think Miles Garrett is going to be the best defensive player in football in five years. Now, right now, you could say it's Aaron Donald or Khalil Mack. In five years, that's going to be Miles Garrett. Mm. And to me, pass rusher is not as important as quarterback, but it's pretty close. By picking Miles where they did and then trading that next pick to the Texans, they were able to get the franchise quarterback in Baker Mayfield and the greatest pass rusher in the game, who is going to be there in five years. So when you you start building a team, you're able to, now this sounds bad, but you're able to still kind of lose for a little while <laughs> to be able to still give you all those big picks. And that was kind of the long-term strategy that the Browns were on. And it hurt. It was very painful when they did it. Now the Browns are sitting there. They have Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield and they have Denzel Ward. So now they've got that franchise cornerback also because they were able to trade out of that pick and get an extra first-round draft pick. And I think when it's all said and done, Baker Mayfield will still be a better quarterback in the long run than um, Deshaun Watson. All right. Well, I'll take your word for it. Going on to the third down here, we got the Los Angeles Chargers are looking like Super Bowl contenders. They come back from a 14-point deficit against the Pittsburgh Steelers for the W. What do you make of the of the Chargers, Joe? What is What are your thoughts, man? At, at the beginning, I thought that they were pretenders that were just doing really well. As time goes on, I'm like, yo, I feel like Phillip Rivers is is, is out for blood and, and he's ready to get a, a Super Bowl under his belt. 
Yeah, I love this. I, I've always loved Philip Rivers. I love this competitiveness. He's always been so good, but he's been just stuck in San Diego where nobody pays any attention. And to me, this is the most underrated team in football because they've got two great pass rushers on the edge. They got Joey Bosa and friend of the Tomahawk show, resident rap artist, yes, Melvin Ingram, rushing the passer. Those are two exceptional pass rushers. They've got a really stout defense. They've got a tremendous offense that can score running. They can score throwing the ball. So to me, they're a very well-rounded team. They've got Anthony Lynn, who is a tremendous coach. I think he's everything that that team needs. He's tough but fair. He's smart. He's been around the game a long time. Uh, he was in Cleveland with me. So clearly, we've had a yeah. lot of great experiences together, a lot Obviously. of winning. He understands how to win. <laughs> but no, I, I think they're good. I was a little nervous at the beginning of the game, obviously, because they got down 23-7, to and I was thinking, shit, this team isn't as good as I thought they were. And I still, some of the luster was lost because whenever you get behind that bad, to me that says if this was a playoff game, they weren't going to be able to make that back up. Right. I think in a regular season game, when you get down 23-7, to it's easier to come back. Um, because the the regular season just doesn't mean as much. And it seems like sometimes teams let the foot off the gas, whereas in the playoffs, they're not going to let the foot off the gas and they're not going to give you any chance. They're going to snuff you out right away. So the Chargers, they lost a little bit of the luster where I had them before, but I still think that they can be Super Bowl contenders. My only reservation is that Phillip Rivers' wife is pregnant with her ninth kid. And that's just too many kids, man. It's just too many kids for one person to have, for two people. I don't care how much money you have. You just don't. As Joe, as you know, as someone who is worth upwards of a billion dollars, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Nine kids is too much. Is that? Do you agree with that take? Well, I certainly don't want nine. Right now, four is too much for me. But this was the question I had for my wife, and I want to hear you guys throw your opinion in there. How many nannies do you think they have? Because as a quarterback – they don't go home very often. And now the, the big story on the TV last night was, well, Philip Rivers, he built this van that has all of his film in there so he can commute from San Diego. He didn't have to move his family. Well, you know what? When you're the quarterback, you still don't ever really go home. Like you have to meet with the receivers. You have to meet with the offensive coordinator. You have to meet with the head coach. You have to meet with your quarterback's coach. So he's probably leaving the facility at seven or eight at night to start watching his film on the way home. So he gets home at 9 p.m. This is probably almost every night of the week. And right. he's probably leaving at 6 in the morning. So how many kids are really awake? And how much time are you really spending at home between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m.? He's probably just sleeping at home. So he's not really seeing and helping with the kids much. So how many nannies do you think that his wife has at home to help with those nine kids? Nine kids. If, if I'm Philip Rivers, I probably have a nanny for each kid. You think so? So yeah. nine nannies? Like a second mom. Like they'd all... Be like, each one of you get your own mom. That's what I would need. To have nine <laughs> kids, you all get a personal mom and a, a biological mom. Me and mom will have date nights. We'll do our thing, still live in our young lives. But you'll also get a personal mom for whatever you need. Um, I don't know how many he has, though. Nine kids is a lot of freaking kids, man. We thought the over-under was probably four nannies because he's probably got a couple kids that are old enough right now to take care of themselves. But you definitely still need nannies for most of the younger kids so we thought the over under was four nat how many nannies do you think he has i was thinking one per three kids so maybe three 
One okay. for three. She, for she three. takes the the under. I like she it. takes the under. So nobody thinks he had nine nannies. Okay, that's cool. All right. Um, <laughs> Let's get into Am I Tripping? Yeah. All right, you guys. It is time for another award-winning edition of Am I Tripping? Am I tripping? Am I tripping? Am I tripping? Am I tripping, dog? Am I tripping? I gotta be tripping. Am I tripping? Or do we need to put the Carolina Panthers in rice? They've lost mm. to the Bucks. They're losing their fourth straight game and fall into six and six. Yeah, you got to put the Panthers in rice, man. They are not good. Cam is – that's my problem with Cam. Like, physically, he's as good as anybody in the league. He's probably even better. I mean, he's 6'10", 310 pounds of chiseled muscle, <laughs> runs a 2-2 in the 40, can – Throws a, a bullet um, out of his shoulder socket. But he goes through these spells where he's not that good. And that's like, that's the problem people have with putting him like in that elite status is we'll have an MVP style cam for a stretch of six or seven weeks. And then we'll get three or four week stints where he just doesn't look good. And this weekend was the perfect example of that as he threw four interceptions, three interceptions to one kid. So that's my only issue with cam. And yes, there's his weapons aren't, you know, incredible. He doesn't have Julio Jones or anything to throw to. But a lot of the top quarterbacks don't. Mm. He has to find a way to be consistently good and and really set a barrier or a point that we know we won't see Cam go below as a quarterback. Until he does that, mm. it's going to be hard to make sure we keep him in that top six, five quarterback range. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Cam Newton is the ultimate hot and cold quarterback because his hot and cold streaks seem to last entire seasons. Like a few years ago, they were what fifteen and one, and he was an MVP candidate. Everyone was saying, "Oh, he's a top five quarterback." Right now, he can't throw a touchdown pass. All he throws is interceptions. They're losing all over the place, and it seems like this cold streak has lasted about half the season. But I'm going to make a comparison here. Mike McCarthy just got fired by the Packers because he'd been there forever. It seemed like his offense got a little bit stale. His message got stale, and I think. What's happening a little bit in Carolina is the same thing with Ron Rivera. Watch out in Carolina. They've got a new owner. A lot of times new owners like to bring in their own people. So I'm not going to say Ron Rivera's on the hot seat, but that might be one of those surprise firings that could happen even before the season is over. All right, what we got next, Nat? All right, so the Seahawks dominated the 49ers, which is, you know, the greatest feat ever to move to <laughs> 7 wow. and 5. So am I tripping or are the Seattle Seahawks starting to look like Super Bowl contenders again? I feel like anytime you have Russell Wilson, who is in my opinion one of the top 5 quarterbacks, you're always in the Super Bowl hunt. Like he could always pull a rabbit out of his hat in the playoffs. He has his team or as head, head. As, as my friend Jason Witten would put it. He could always pull a rabbit out of his head in the playoffs, and his team is playing really, really well. They don't, again, they're not a team with a tremendous number of weapons, but that's even scarier. When a team plays well together as a team, that's a scary team to beat. You don't want a team that relies too heavily on just one guy if you're, that guy is not the quarterback. Russell Wilson is just really, really freaking good. Well, that's the scary thing about the Seattle Seahawks is right now Russell Wilson is beating you every single way. He's handing the ball off. He's throwing it. He's running it. He's doing it efficiently. He's doing it with deep passes. He's doing it with short passes. 
He's definitely a top five quarterback right now. He is extremely dangerous and he's playing the best ball of his career. So Seattle is definitely a Super Bowl contender when Russell Wilson is playing like that. Last, am I tripping? Um, so Aaron Donald had two more sacks and knocked down Matt Stafford four times yesterday. Am I tripping or is Aaron Donald the real MVP of the Rams? Or as Hawk would say, the best football player in the NFL. Best football player mm. on planet Earth. I've been <laughs> yelling from the top of this mountain for almost five years now. He's not the MVP of the Rams. He's the MVP of the NFL. If Patrick Mahomes mm. has one or two bad games, Drew Brees has another bad game or a game where he only throws for 130 yards. I'm going to be the president of the Aaron Donald for MVP committee. I'm going to tour around the country <laughs> at every home game throughout the playoffs into the award season, whenever that is, because Aaron Rod, or I mean, Aaron Donald is just better than everybody else. Usually I'm not big on naming anybody but a quarterback as the MVP of the league because quarterbacks just have so much influence over your team from offense to defense, even onto the special teams because how they play dictates how the game unfolds. But in this case, Aaron Donald is keeping the Rams in every single game. If for some reason that offense doesn't play lights out, he just keeps it close. So all they have to do is make a couple drives to win the game. So in this case, I think Aaron Donald actually probably should win the MVP of the league. And not just that, it's in a year where all offensive numbers are inflated because of the rules change. So because of how the rules are now in the NFL, it basically has neutralized every defense and defensive player in the league, except Aaron Donald. So imagine mm-hmm. if in the other rules what these numbers would be like. He gets double teamed, it doesn't matter. Triple team doesn't matter. He still plays at an incredibly high level, leading the league at sacks from a defensive tackle position. I was on Golik and Wingo a couple weeks ago, and I stupidly said that Khalil Mack was better than Aaron Donald. And in the moment, I believed it. But after watching what Aaron Donald did this weekend <laughs> to those hapless Lions, I completely regret it. And I think I got hit in the head too many times because Aaron <laughs> Donald is unbelievable. And I think he's a better player right now. More impactful to that defense than Khalil Mack. And he's only getting better, which is the scariest part of That's the whole scary. thing. I'm sorry for those poor offensive linemen that have to go out there and just keep blocking him. He's the real reason that I retired. Look at this dude, man. Right now I'm showing a picture of a shirtless Aaron Donald in his six-pack after the game last oh my night. God. How do you block he, that? He does that on purpose. He knows where that camera is. He, he quickly flips that shirt off, quickly takes that helmet and shoulder pads off. You notice nobody else in that locker room took their shirt off? They don't have their uniform. Not even going. those receivers. He could play like that. They still got their pads on. Look at that. That's how they Those should dudes. make them play. It's my screensaver on my phone, so whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, that was good MI tripping, but the last segment I want to hit on quickly is the ending of the Colts-Jaguars game. Did you see this, Hawk? <laughs> I did not see it. You were all in my, oh. in my text messages about it. I didn't know what the hell happened. Man, I was so pissed. The Colts-Jaguars ending was setting up to be one of these great NFL endings uh, Andrew Luck's driving down the field, bringing him down after a game where he couldn't piss a drop. They didn't score a freaking point. He's going to go down the field and lead them to victory with that last second touchdown drive. He throws a pass near the sideline. Uh, the receiver catches the ball. He's making a move towards the sideline. And Jalen Ramsey makes a big hit tackled right on the sideline. The player clearly gets his momentum stopped moving forward. But it's not one of those where he's running out 
out of bounds backwards. He's still trying to move forward, but he's kind of hit and he gets knocked into midair and kind of goes a little bit backwards, but a lot sideways and then lands right out of bounds. 10 out of 10 football officials from high school through the NFL will say the clock gets stopped because as we all know, the stopping of forward momentum is a judgment call by the officials. Mm -hmm. And so the NFL guideline and all football referee guidelines are that under two minutes, when it's a close game like that, you stop the clock when it's sort of one of those judgment calls if the player was still moving forward when he was going out of bounds because everybody in the NFL that's watching wants to see the offense get more opportunities to continue to move down the field to win the game. Now, this ref stupidly runs in there, keeps the clock moving. The Colts had no timeouts, and so the game ended on a tackle out of bounds rather than giving the Colts one more play to shoot for the end zone to try to win the game. Hawk, I think it was a terrible call by the official. I don't know how you make that. And then there was people on Twitter yelling at me saying, don't you know the rule that if forward momentum is stopped inbounds, the clock doesn't stop? Well, then I had to point to him that I think me and you may not know shit, but this guy named Gene Steratore, who was the best official in the NFL for like 15 years, who came on and said that the ref should have stopped the clock, and he explained why, knows more than both of us, so shut the hell up. <laughs> you were really pissed about that, man. And maybe it's because you've had so many games where you had to rely on the Hail Mary to try to win. But... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm. I haven't seen the play, so I would love to give you a take. Um, mm, great take. Thanks for watching. That I don't care awesome. enough to even go look up the video or see what the reaction to Twitter. So I'm going to take your word for it. If you say it was bull, Joe, <laughs> I'm with bullshit. you, man. It's bullshit. And you know what pissed me off? Because our guy Eric Ebron was just on the show last week, and I was ready for him to catch the game-winning touchdown yep. pass to give us even more publicity and more Oscars than we've already gotten. And the refs robbed us of that opportunity. And that's why I was really so pissed. I didn't think about it through that lens. And now I'm mad. Now I'm like genuinely upset about it. Cause that was a, a big, a big, big play for the Tomahawk. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk. We have a couple of topics we didn't get to, but who cares? No one really cares what we think deep down. Anyway, like always, make sure you're hitting us up on social with our hashtag Tomahawk show Hit us on both of our pages on Instagram and Twitter, at Tomahawk Show. We have a special guest coming Thursday. We will let you know about that on social. Rate us five stars. Subscribe. All that mess. Um, We appreciate you. I think that's it. Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself.